Hey everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to Church Online. We're in week two of a series that we've called The Good Book. We're talking all about the Bible. Last week we talked about believing the Bible, the validity that you can trust it. It's been tried. Come on, the Bible has been around for thousands and thousands of years and there's never been another book like it. Over thousands of years, so many different authors, different languages it's been written in. It still rings true today for us in our uh, in the areas of life that we find ourselves in. There's never been a more relevant book than any of us could read than the Bible, God's Word. We believe it to be uh, Jesus in Jesus in the flesh. It says the Word became flesh and lived among us. We believe the Bible, and we talked about week one the validity of it. That you can find it written in Scripture, but it's proven itself. Even outside of the Bible, it's been proven throughout history. If you've got your notes right there online, you can read along with me our theme verse, 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that every so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. So the Bible does. It's, it's alive and breathing. We believe it's for us. It's God-breathed, God-inspired, and useful to teach us and correct us and rebuke us. Why does it do that? So that we can be equipped for every good work. You may be listening in today or tuning in today, and um, you need to know that you have a purpose. If you're breathing, God designed you on purpose for a purpose And that purpose is largely going to be found and discovered through His Word. It says that that God uses His Word, the Bible. He uses it to mold us, to shape us, to be more like Jesus, and to equip us for every good work that He's called us to. So what's your purpose? What's God doing in your life? How's He using you to make a difference in your sphere of influence? Maybe you're here today and you go, well, He really isn't. And there really isn't much of a sphere of influence in my life. And um, up until this point, that hasn't been. And my question would be, how much of the Word of God do you allow in your life? How much of God's Word do you submit your life to? The Bible is valid. You can trust the Word of God. And today, week two, we're actually going to be talking a little bit about how to study the Bible. If it's God's Word and it's for us to correct us and, and teach us and mold us and shape us, well then how should we read it? It, it? The Bible really isn't just one book. It's made up of 66 different books. And there's all kinds of genres. There's, there's poetry and there's history. There's epistles, which are letters. There's doctrinal letters. Uh, there are uh, there are historical letters. There are, uh, you know, we, when we, when we, there are prophecy books. So there's all different kinds of literature wrapped in the Bible. And you need to know that we don't just read it all the same way. You wouldn't take a history book and develop our doctrine from it. It's, a history book is simply telling us what was, what did happen. And so there's all kinds of different ideas and ways to read Scripture. And, and if we're going to best hear from God... How do we begin to lay that out? So we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. The Bible, it's, a, it's the most important text ever written. And, and a lot of people go, well, why do we even call it that? We know the Bible simply means book. 
That's all it means. It's, it just simply means book. It comes from the Greek word that we uh, read called biblion or biblios. And it's the only thing uh, that sets the Bible apart from any other book is the word holy. Maybe you've heard it at somewhere uh, in your life or maybe it's on your Bible. It's stamped holy Bible. Literally, it means holy book. We titled our series, The Good Book. Why? Because it is set apart. It's the only book that is good. God's word written to humanity. So we would call it the holy book. It's what it means. It's set apart. We got the word Bible from the Hebrew city called Gabal. Uh, but in the Greek, it's actually called Biblos. This was this huge city, and uh, it was the largest importer of the uh, in the world of papyrus, which was really the original paper. Papyrus is where we get our word paper from. If you uh, had a book printed in that time, uh, the book uh, that was printed, it was in Biblios, that, that's where you got it printed, in that city, uh, in Biblos. So we, when the Bible was printed, they simply just called it that. They called it Bible, the book, the holy book. Remember last week we said that there's no other book like it. 40 different authors, three different languages, three different continents, 1,500 years and it all points to Jesus. It's a miracle. There's nothing else like the Bible. We believe it to be the Word of God to humanity. His spoken Word to us. The same spoken Word that spoke life into existence uh, in the book of Genesis. The world was formless and, with, and, and it, was in a, it was without form. It was in a void. And God spoke it and it was. That's the Word of God. And it has that same supernatural power for your life and for my life. So why should we give our lives to it, to understanding it, to studying the Bible above all else? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. I'm going to share with you some reasons, some whys behind it, and then we're going to dive into some hows, because I believe if we can develop uh, if we can develop ourselves with a love for the Word of God, it's the Word of God that can change our lives supernaturally through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray together. Father, we love you. I'm thankful for every person tuning in on the other side of this camera today. God, I, I thank you that your grace is real for them and for me right where we are. Lord, you meet us right where you are. Your Word is for us. So I pray today that something happens supernaturally through your word that sparks a supernatural love for you and your word in our lives. That it begins to guide and direct and, and point the way for how we live our lives. And God, we begin to live in the favor of God uh, in our lives and in our families. That you would get all of the honor and all of the glory out of it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, number one, if you're taking notes, why study the Bible? Well, because the Bible, one, you need to know it's fun. The Bible is fun. I don't know if you're like me, but growing up, I never really dreamed that the Bible was fun. I never even thought it was fun. As a matter of fact, I thought it was the opposite of fun. There was nothing in the Bible growing up that I read or saw that seemed fun to me. And much of it was because of how it was presented or how it was communicated. I didn't really understand a lot that I was reading. But there's lots of fun things in the Bible. Check this out in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3 in your notes. It says, Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. And I know you read that and you go, well, what's so funny about that? But for me, I read it, I realize, I know that Moses wrote the book of Numbers. He said it about himself. He was the most humble person on earth. Nobody was as humble as him. And it, it took 
a pretty prideful person to write that down, knowing that you wrote the book. He wrote it. Come on, that's funny. And no matter who you are, that's a that's funny in the Bible. The Bible talks about it. Check this out in Proverbs 27 and 14. I've got a I think about a funny story every time I read this passage of scripture. It says, A loud, cheerful greeting early in the morning will be taken as a curse. Now, you read that and you're like, probably some of you are like, absolutely, I don't want to talk to anybody until I've had like four cups of coffee in the morning. I think of a story in my own life, in Pastor Brandon Matthews' life, um, every time I read this passage of Scripture, every year we do the one-year Bible, I get to this and I'm just reminded of this story. This uh, Years ago, we were supposed to go fishing on a day and uh, I get to his house at a specific time, knocking on his door, he doesn't answer. And I call him on his phone. He doesn't answer. I'm like, he's asleep. uh, And he slept through the time. We're going to have to figure out a way to get him up. So I decide that I'm going to break into his house. And um, you may not know this about me, but I'm pretty good at breaking into things. I can break into a home. There's not many places that uh, doesn't leave a window open or a door open. If I was a thief, I would probably be a good one. Uh, But I broke into his house that day and walked up his stairs, and he was in the bed with his dog uh, at the time. And uh, I did exactly what this passage of Scripture says not to do, a loud, cheerful greeting in the morning. It'll be taken as a curse. He, They woke up scared to death. His dog peed all over the bed that morning. It was just so funny when I think back uh, (laughs) that a loud greeting is taken as a curse. I'm reminded of stories like that. There are funny things all through the Bible. To me, here's the, the number one funniest passage of Scripture in the Bible. Check this out. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 9. It says, The hand of the Lord was against that city, And with a very great destruction, it says, And he smote the men in the city, both small and great. Here's how he did it. Listen. And they had hemorrhoids in their secret parts. (laughs) That's funny. Come on, the Lord had a sense of humor. He was angry. It says the hand of the Lord was against them. And how was he going to punish them? That's how he punished them. All through Scripture, you can see that God had a sense of humor. God obviously had. As a matter of fact, there's a spot in the book of Proverbs that said laughter is good like medicine. If you will allow it, the the power of God will will bring joy through the Word of God into your life. I read a story about a nervous bride planning her wedding uh, this past week. She was increasingly terrified about her wedding and nervous. And to calm her nerves, she decided to have a specific Bible verse uh, put on her wedding cake. It was 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It says, there's no fear in love for perfect love cast out all fear. So she had that engraved on her wedding cake. She had planned that. She had called the the, um, caterers and told them about it, and they had set it up and scheduled it for her wedding day. And, And about a week out, they called her just to confirm that she wanted that passage of Scripture, uh, 1 John 4, 18, on her cake. She said, yes, that's exactly what I want. That's, that's the one I want. So she, uh, they confirmed it. She moved on, and everything was great until the day of her wedding. Somebody messed up 
in the, uh, in the the catering company, they thought one John was the first one that you come to. And there's actually a bunch of Johns in the Bible. There's the Gospel of John, and then there's first, second, and third John. They thought it was just the first one that you come to. And they actually engraved John chapter 4, verse 18. And it says, for you've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. <laughs> On her wedding day. Come on, the Bible is funny. It can bring joy to your life. As a matter of fact, I would tell you that if you're living your life right now apart from the truth of God's Word in your life, you're probably chasing happiness and it's ever moving and you can't ever seem to find the target and you're really, you're really looking for joy, and those are two different things. See, happiness is external. Joy is what God has done, in, is what God produces inside of me in spite of the circumstance. And you'll only actually ever understand true joy through the Word of God. The Bible is fun. It can bring joy into your life. Well, there's another reason. Number two, you need to know it's alive. The Bible's alive. John chapter 1, the gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, it says that the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. You need to know this, that the Bible, it was with the voice of God, the word of God, that everything happened in, and, and, and is, and we find our being, everything about us is through the word of God. That is Jesus himself. The word became flesh and lived among us. The word became human and made his home among us. That's Jesus. The Word is alive. It's Jesus himself. You know, the greatest thing I know about the Bible is that it is always relevant. It's always relevant. How is a how can a book written thousands of years ago be this relevant to our lives? Well, it's because through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's alive. It speaks into every circumstance in our lives. I would submit that you'll never walk through something in your life that the Word of God could not speak to. And if you make it a regular part of study, a regular part of reading the Word of God, you'll recognize that often the Lord speaks to you right where you are in your life through his word. It's alive. Nothing like the Bible can speak to your life right where you are at any given moment. So you have to learn to look at the Bible spiritually. It's not just a physical book of paper and pen like every other book on the earth. It's a spiritually written, inspired book to speak to your life where you are. I've said it a few times. I read the one-year Bible every year. And it's a consistent habit that I've developed over the years in my faith journey. I've been reading that. I've been reading the one-year Bible consistently well over uh, 13 years now. I've been, I've been following Jesus for 20, and for 13 straight years I've read the Bible all the way through with the one-year Bible plan. And, and it's changed my life, and it's grown me as a follower of Jesus more than it ever could have before because I've made it a regular habit in my life because I've begun to realize that it is alive. It speaks to my circumstances. There are aren't many days that I read a scripture, that I read the Bible, that somehow what I've read that day doesn't speak to my life or a circumstance that I've walked through that day or some point in that week. Or maybe even there's someone that I know or a friend that, I've, that I'm in relationship with that's going through something 
And I'm reminded of a scripture. I'm reminded of something in the Word of God that I read that week or earlier that day that's made it, that makes a difference in that moment. The Word of God is alive. And then number three, you need to know, another why, this is huge, is we know that the Bible is the final authority. The final authority. Here's what 2 John chapter, chapter 1, verse 9 says. Anyone who wanders away from this teaching has no relationship with God. But anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. So what is that telling us? It's the Bible is the final authority. Anyone who wanders away from the truth of God's Word has no relationship with God. Now listen, I know we live in a culture that it is so easy to say, and this is what has been believed, we've been conditioned to believe, that you have your truth and I have my truth. We're all, we're all God's children and everything's fine and God loves everybody and we're all good the way we are and I'll believe what I believe and you believe what you believe. The problem with that is, is it's just not the truth of Scripture. Jesus said, we read it last week in last week's message, that you're my disciples, you're my friends, if you do what I say. First John, John, the disciple, wrote this. He said, anyone who wanders away from this teaching has no relationship with God. You see, you need to know, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, the Bible is the final authority. It's literally the one thing that we should, that every decision in our lives should be decided around. Should I make that decision? What does God's Word say about it? Should I date that person? What does God's Word say about it? Should I, should I, should I live that lifestyle? Well, what does God's Word say about it? It's not about how I feel. It's about what He says. And why should I study the Word? How could I know the decisions that are correct to make in my life, knowing that, that how do I know if I'm wandering away from the truth or if I'm in line with the truth of God's Word if I don't study God's Word, if I don't make it a practice to read and study and, and, in, and digest God's Word in my life. You see, I believe that far too many believers in America, cultural Christianity, people who claim salvation in Jesus, I think there's far too many of us who do not know the truth of God's Word for our life. And far too many of us are living our lives according to our emotions, hoping things wash out in the end. And the, the, the reality is there is a truth in God's Word that guides us and directs us. It's not as confusing as one would like to think. God has not placed us out in the universe so that we can hopefully, hopefully figure it out on our own. No, He has given us direction. He has given us a love letter. He has provided a way back to Him through Jesus. And He has given us understanding through His Word on how to do all of it. We're not have, we don't have to figure it out on our own. God's Word, as a follower of Jesus, is my final authority. So here, here what I would ask you to do. Here's what I would ask you to do right now in this moment. Is ask yourself this question. Is God's Word the final authority in my life? Look at your relationships right now. Look at how you handle your money right now. Look at how you parent your children right now. What about your integrity and your character? What does that look like? Does that line up with the truth of Scripture?
If not, if you've wandered away from the teachings of God through His Word, come on, John says that you're, that you're pulling away from relationship with God. But anyone who remains in the teachings of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. It's a simple evaluation. Come on, is my life in line with God's Word? If not, I need to make some changes. I need to make some changes. What do I do? How do I begin to study? How do I begin to, to, um, to, to follow the path of God's Word in my life? Well, number one, you need to, take, you need to write this down. How do I study the Bible? Well, number one, you have to accept the Word. You have to accept it for what it is. You see, I, I know many theologians and many people who have studied Scripture and many people who claim Scripture. It's, it's really easy to accept some things but not other things. There are very smart people, and I would say even way smarter than I am, th- who claim to be theologians but do not, do not claim to actually believe and accept the Word at, 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 the, at, at face value for what it is. Well, I would say if you're a follower of Jesus, we believe that the Word of God, this is what we believe at Cultivate Church, the Word of God is undeniable. It is infallible. God does not make mistakes. And we have to accept it for what it is. So what does that mean? It means as I read the Word of God, if I come across anything in God's Word, as I'm, as I'm studying it out, as I'm reading God's Word, I'm saying, God, speak to me, share your Word with me so that I can live a life that honors you. If if, if what God's Word says is different than how I feel, then I lay my emotions down and I pick up the truth of God's Word. I can tell you that as a follower of Jesus, a little over 20 years, there's been many times in my personal walk with Jesus that I've had to submit to the truth of God's Word. I've had to. Listen to this in John chapter 6. At this point, many of His disciples turned away and deserted Him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked... Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, listen, he said, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. One translation says, you alone have the words of eternal life. You see, Peter had committed, he had accepted that Jesus was the final authority. Where else would I go? I don't have anywhere else to go. I'm, I'm, I've accepted Jesus. Your word is my final authority for my life. And as a follower of Jesus, I would ask, have you accepted the Word? In my family, we've accepted the Bible as our final authority on everything. Meaning, in whatever it says, we follow. It's how we parent. It's how we handle our finances. It's how we make decisions on integrity or not, or, or uh, integrity and character. It's how we treat our relationships, everything. When my kids have questions about life or decisions that they should make, guess what my first answer is? It's, well, I don't know. Let's see what the Bible says about it. If the Bible has anything to say about it, we follow the Bible. We've accepted the Word. Number two, how do I study it? You need to learn it. You need to learn it. David said it this way in Psalm 119 and 11. He says that I have hidden your word, O God, in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. 
Why have I hidden your word? Why have I learned it? Why have I digested it? So that I wouldn't sin against you. So that in every circumstance that I come up against in my life, there would be a portion of your word that could speak to those circumstances. And I wouldn't have to always go looking for it or digging for it. But because I have learned it, because I have committed to habits of reading your word, it is in my heart. It is in my spirit. And I can I can uh, relate to the power of the Holy Spirit through your word word so that I might not sin against you. Why study the Bible? So that we can honor God and not sin against him. So here's just a quick way that you can begin to learn the Bible. Super easy. I call it SOAP. S-O-A-P. And it's an acronym and you want to write this down. It's not in your notes. It's, it's extra. One is the S stands for scripture. Every day I commit to read scripture. Now, you don't have to read the whole Bible through in a year. I would say that it would be great to get to that point in your life, but I would say just pick a book. The book of Proverbs is a great book to start. If you're new to reading the Bible, that's a great way to start. There's one proverb for just about every month of the year. There's a proverb a day. And so you can just commit to read through the book of Proverbs every month. And you're reading one chapter. It's short. It's, it's, it's short and sweet. It's easy to get to. And so you would just commit to read that one chapter, that one, or maybe that one verse a day. Uh, and you would just meditate on that one particular scripture. And then O stands for observation. And so as you read that particular passage of scripture, you, just, you simply write down any observations that you might notice. Now, a good way, a good practice uh, of hermeneutics, hermeneutics simply means the study of God's word. A, a, a good practice is to answer these questions, who, what, where, when, and why. So as you read that passage of scripture, scripture you simply ask those questions, who? Okay, well, who, who wrote this scripture? Who is he writing to? Uh, is there a specific, particular context that he's writing to, a, spe- a particular specific people that the author is writing to? What's he actually saying? And it might require you to actually read a couple of verses up or read a couple of verses down to actually know what he's saying in that particular scripture. When was it written? Maybe find some context of when was it written. Lots. It's a super, most of the time now, it's a super easy Google search. When was this passage of scripture written? Why is a good question to ask. Why was it written historically in that moment? That's observation. I'm going to read a passage and I'm just going to observe what I'm reading. And once I get to that point and I've asked some questions and I've observed and I think I know what he's saying, you get to the A and that's application. How can I apply it to my life? Okay, I see what Paul wrote in the New Testament to Timothy in First and Second Timothy. I see that he was speaking to him, and I see the context about now how do I apply it to my life? Because it does apply. Write that down. Write it down, that particular of Scripture, how it applies to your life, and begin to work on that application. How can I make little changes today that can apply that scripture to my life that makes all the difference. I say it a lot in my life, little tweaks lead to high peaks. So how can I make a little tweak based on the application of that passage of scripture that's going to lead to a high peak in my life? And then the final one is prayer. P stands for prayer. Spend time in prayer over that particular scripture. That the Holy Spirit would guide you. That the Lord would give you grace to walk it out in your life. Come on, you need to take time to study, memorize, 
Commit Scripture to your heart. Learn the Word of God because it matters. It's God speaking to us. And then the last thing I'll share with you today, number three, on the back of your notes is you need to do the Word. It's one thing to learn it. It's one thing to study it. It's a whole other thing. We talked about that application to walk it out, to do it. The book of James, I love the book of James. James was very straightforward in his faith, and he said it this way in chapter 1, verse 22 through 24. But don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. If you could underline that or write it down or highlight it somehow, you would, you would need to do that. That's a very important part of this verse. Don't just listen to it. Don't just read it. Don't just study it. But do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and you forget what you look like. He's saying it's, it does you no good to simply just learn it and don't do what it says. One of the biggest problems I've discovered with American Christianity over the years is that people know the word to some degree. They've studied it, they've read it, they've been to Bible school or VBS or uh, Sunday school to some form or degree. Maybe that's you. You know the word, but they don't actually live it out. There's no action to your knowledge. And I would say the most important thing about studying God's word is putting feet to the knowledge, actually becoming a doer of God's word. Gandhi is a famous quote, Mahatma Gandhi, back in the day, he said, he said, I love your Christ, but I don't love your Christians because your Christians are unlike your Christ. Come on, what a sobering thought. He's, what does culture look at Christianity and see? It doesn't take much to look at culture, to look at what culture thinks about, about many Christians in America. Because, it, because if you just look politically speaking and you just look at what most people outside of the local church, looking in the local church, their opinion of the local church is much like the opinion of Gandhi's. Because there's so many cultural Christians who may have a, a, a knowledge of God's word. They may claim Jesus as their savior, but there's no action. And Jesus said it and it's true today. You'll know a tree by its fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. So today, I'm asking you, I'm asking you to find a love for the love, a love for the Word of God. It will transform your life from the inside out. Why do I need to study it? Because it matters. It's God giving us direction, molding us to be more like Jesus. It's super easy. Come on, I'm going to read it today. I'm going to observe it today. I'm going to apply it to my life, and I'm going to pray and do what God has called me to do. It can make all the difference right where you are. Maybe you're here, you're tuning in, and you would say, I don't really have a relationship with Jesus, and I really don't know which way to go or what to do. I'm not, I don't have a love for his word. And maybe you don't have a love for his word because the Holy Spirit of God has not yet, has not yet actually transformed your life. And you would say today, the first step of finding a love for God's word is finding a love for God's son. And you need to know that there's a God in heaven that loves you more than you could ever dream or imagine. 
And if you would commit your life to him today, the Bible says that he would settle your eternity and he would change your life, past, present, and future. The Bible says he takes our sin and throws it far as the east is from the west, never to bring it up again. So right where you are, you would simply say these words, Father, forgive me of my sin. I confess that I've lived my life my own way. I've followed my own direction. I've made my own decisions. I haven't followed the truth of your word. But for beginning, beginning from this point forward, I'm going to follow the truth of your word. I commit my life to you, Jesus. And I accept you as my Savior. And from this day forward, I'm going to follow you as my Lord. I'm going to commit to studying your word. I'm going to commit to living my life based on the principles of the truth of the Bible. And I'm going to see God transform my life like I've never seen before. Father, thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me direction. In Jesus' name, amen.